Hi there. Welcome to the Branch Life Podcast. We're so happy that you tuned in. Please join us today as we continue our series through the book of Matthew. Thanks for joining us online as we go through a series called Asking for a Friend. Have you ever had one of those questions where you know you're supposed to know the answer, but you are so embarrassed to ask it? And then you kind of just pose it as, hey, I'm asking for a friend. Can anybody help me out with the answer to this question? Through this series, we will learn that Jesus loves to hear us asking him questions. And he loves to answer those back. If you are new or a regular, Thank you so much for logging in. We appreciate all of your um, love and support and generosity through all of these series that we uh, present for you guys. If this is your first time, please log on to www.branchlife.church backslash connect. And in there, you will be able to fill out a connection card. We would love to give you a new Matthew journal as a free gift for, logging in and joining us. If you would like more information about our church, you can also go to the website and we you can find out some events that what's going on and some more um, series that we have already done and just ways to help encourage you. So thanks for jumping in and we hope you enjoy this new series. We are doing our traveling through Matthew, and we're in chapter 17 through 20. So if you have your Bibles, uh, let's open right to Matthew 18 today. If you have your Matthew journals, uh, we're going to jump into Matthew chapter 18, uh, which is on page 96. We are excited to continue our series asking for a friend, and today's question is asked right off the bat. So let's just read this one together in Matthew chapter 18. In verse 1, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, here's today's question, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Today, the question that's being asked Jesus is who is the greatest? Who is the greatest of all time? It was a couple of years ago that I heard the word goat used for the first time in referring to an athlete or a professional of some kind. And I didn't understand why they kept calling someone a goat, right? Like that just was weird to me. But obviously the acronym of goat is greatest of all time. And so if someone is called a goat, that's a compliment apparently in our day and age. So if you you are wanting to become goat status in your life, you know, that's something that you can shoot for in some way, shape, or form. That was what was going on in the minds of the disciples as they asked this question. To Jesus. Now remember, here's the premise of our series. If you knew that you had God's undivided attention and he would be able to answer you directly any question that you asked, what question would you ask? I want to thank you for joining us today as we jump into this, whether you're here in person or you're one of many of our friends and family who are joining us online Uh, Because of what's happening with COVID right now, we understand that that's the appropriate place for a lot of people to to join us together in worship. And as you've joined us today for the series, we're continuing to ask these important questions. Because that's exactly what happened to the disciples, to people that lived during Jesus' day. Is they were standing in the presence of Jesus, and they realized that he was 
claiming to be God, that he may even be God, or, or that it was the Messiah here on earth. And so you can kind of see their wheels start turning all in these chapters in Matthew. And in paragraph after paragraph, somebody asked Jesus a question. Because after all, they now had direct access to God through the person of Jesus. The disciples, after figuring out that they were walking with the Messiah, now have kind of put two and two together. Their wheels have been turning. They've been chewing on some stuff. And they went, all right, who's the greatest of all time? Now, here's why they asked the question. If Jesus is the Messiah, and if he is God on earth, then he is coming to establish his kingdom, his empire, his nation, his reign. And then Jesus is going to be able to take whoever he wants and prop them up in positions of power in that kingdom. And the disciples are thinking to themselves, I got in on this on the ground floor. Like, I got pretty early, I'm an early adopter when it comes to Jesus. He said, follow me, I followed him. And I'm like one of the 12. I wonder who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Like, what position should I ask for? Do I want to be general, right? In charge of the military? Going to have angels that I can command? Am I going to be like vice president? Am I, am I going to be like a, a special envoy to different parts of the world and the earth? Can I transport myself between heaven and earth and kind of be that guy? And so they were kind of positioning themselves to kind of have this debate. Who would be the greatest? What would be the greatest position in the kingdom of heaven? This is a supernatural question, right? Like all of them, of course, we would find ourselves asking this question, and we do it all the time. We ask ourselves, who is the greatest? Now, what happens in Jesus' answer is awesome. Because he shows us very quickly that our idea of greatness is upside down. The way that we define greatness, the way that we think about greatness, and the way that we measure greatness is actually upside down. Now here's the danger with believing in upside down greatness. You can spend your life, you can spend your energy, you can spend your emotions, you can spend your money, you can spend your talents, you can spend your days pursuing greatness that's actually going to get you to the wrong place. It's going to get you somewhere where you don't want to be, where you shouldn't be. The problem with pursuing our kind of greatness is ultimately it can lead to destruction. If you go after the wrong greatness, you could be destroyed. And that's exactly where the disciples were finding themselves. So here's how most of us in our day and age measure greatness, all right? If we were going to say who's the greatest of all time... Maybe we're talking about someone who's really good at winning. And this is where the definition GOAT comes in because uh, Tom Brady wins another Super Bowl. Oh, I just threw up in my mouth a little bit. I'm sorry. That got me. People will start claiming that he's the GOAT of football. He's the best quarterback of all time. He's the greatest of all time. Why? Because he's won so much. If you kind of start looking at the top 10 athletes of all times, you're going to find names in there like Michael Phelps. Why? Because he's won the most Olympic gold medals, or medals, period. You're going to, Simone Biles has fallen into that category of, of one of the greatest Olympians of all time because she's won the most. You start debating like, all right, what about long careers in professional sports? And if I'm going to look at something like hockey, I've got to land on the name Wayne Gretzky. Right? I mean, nobody else even comes close to what he's accomplished in the sport. If I'm going to look at, at basketball, I'm going to look at golf, names start coming up. Tiger Woods, Jack Nicholson, Nichols, Nicholson, Jack, not the actor or the golfer. And then, of course, the top number one on most lists of the greatest athletes of all time the most winningest athlete of all time, the greatest of all time. You know him, you love him. It's Michael Jordan, right? There shouldn't really be a debate to that. Serena, uh, Serena Williams, who, who, has, who has maybe a ma male or female, one of the greatest athletes ever, has accomplished the longest career, having so many wins in tennis, right? Why are they so great? Because they win. 
So we call them great. Maybe we measure greatness through wealth. The top 10 richest people. I got on last night to a website because it tracks in real time people's wealth based on what the stock market's doing or is not doing. And, and so there's a couple of people that are kind of switching for the top spot or not the top. Elon Musk, officially on the top spot last night. Elon Musk is, is someone who measures his wealth in the hundreds of billions of dollars. Almost, almost close to $200 billion net worth. And then on that list, you, you see some heavy hitters, right? The names that we know, Bill Gates, Warren Buffett. If you take all of the... Um, the, the family that owns Walmart and you start putting their monies together, they're, they're spread out. They're not on the top of the list because there's three of them. But if you bring them all together, they move right up to the top as one family. Hundreds of billions of dollars. Jeff Bezos is, is sometimes at the top of the list because of his wealth from Amazon. Well, he must be, they must be the greatest of all times. The only reason Jeff Bezos is not necessarily at the top right now is because his wife, who's also in like the top 25, holds a big, ex-wife holds a big chunk of his net worth. Put them together, unrivaled. The amount of money is staggering in that list. That's just the list that we know about. You know, people don't have to be on those lists. Probably the richest people of the world, we don't even know their names because they didn't put them on the list. Do you know who the richest person of all time is? Rockefeller. In his, in his lifetime, his value, his net worth would be north of $400 billion today. $400 billion. He must be the greatest. So we pursue money because we think it's going to bring us greatness, or we measure it with power. Who has control? Who's got control of the world? And so the President of the United States is considered to be one of the most powerful people in the entire world because they're in a position of political power where they can actually control people, where they can actually uh, 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 start wars and end wars and dump big sums of money and get, get the machine, the man machine working and moving in different ways. And people are put into power, power categories because of their position, because of their wealth, because of their business, because of the opportunity that they have to control other people. So they must be the greatest. Maybe it's fame. Do you know who the most famous person in the world is right now? You all know their names, right? This might, this might surprise you. In the top ten famous people in the world right now. So in other words, if you go to any country in the world and say this name, people will know who it is. No matter if they're rich or poor, young or old, right? They have to be famous across all generations, across all nationalities, right? Who does everybody in the world know? Top 10 on the list includes people like Justin Bieber, Taylor Swift, they make almost every list, Barack Obama, Donald Trump, everybody knows their names. But on the top of the list right now, it's back and forth between Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Oprah. Well, they must be the greatest of all time. So the disciples asked Jesus, who's the greatest of all time? And I want to aspire. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to yearn after that. I'm going to follow them. I'm going to learn from them. I'm going to try to emulate them. I'm going to try to be like them. I'm going to covet what they have. I want to do what they want to do. And I'm going to kind of worship them because they're powerful, because they're wealthy, because they're famous, because they're winners. And if they're a winner, I'm going to follow and cheer for them. And I'm going to root for them. I'm going to wear their clothes. I'm going to let other people know that I'm in their camp. Because I want a, a little bit of that greatness to kind of leak down to me. So I can be great in my world, in my family, in my neighborhood, in my church. And I, if I want to be great like they're great in their world, man, that would be awesome. So Jesus, who's the greatest of all time and how do I get there? And God spends the next paragraph explaining to us his idea of greatness, which is radically different than our idea of greatness. It's upside down greatness. And what Jesus does in this moment to answer the question of who's the greatest of all time, absolutely fascinating, please don't miss this picture. In Matthew chapter 18, then going into verse 2, he says, calling to him a child. So he's, he's surrounded by the disciples and he, he sees a child and he says to the child, could you, could you come here? And this little child, two, three, four, five, six year old, 
comes up to Jesus. And a lot of pictures paint this moment. They, Jesus holding a, a child on his lap. Maybe he did that. Maybe he just put his arm around him. Maybe just face him face to face. But he called to him a child. Now think about this in this moment. He brings up a child. And for the rest of this chapter, think about Jesus standing next to a child. Right? You can make an argument in this moment that now the greatest in the kingdom, who is God, who is Jesus, himself standing right there in front of them, is now standing next to a weak, helpless child. And he calls to himself a child, and he put the child in the midst of all of them, the wannabe generals, the wannabe vice presidents, the wannabe wealthy, the wannabe powerful, the wannabe famous. He puts the child in, front, in the midst of them, and he says, truly I say to you, Unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Here's, here's the baseline requirement to enter the kingdom of God. You have to be like a child. You can't even get into the kingdom unless you're childlike. What does that mean? Unless you are simple. Unless you are powerless. Unless you are moneyless, unless you are unknown, you have to be brought down low in order to enter the kingdom of God, not come in high. And if you are like a child, this theme comes up over and over and over again in Matthew. Start back at the Sermon on the Mount. We've referenced it many times because it comes up many times. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit, the childlike. The one that says, I can't survive without help. I can't feed myself. I, I'm not strong enough. I'm not smart enough to know what to do next. I don't know how to have a bedtime. I don't know how to prepare a meal. I don't know how to make myself clean. I'm a child. I'm simple. I'm dependent completely on others in order to survive. My, my kids right now are, are in a, a Lego phase, which is a really expensive phase to be in. And uh, what happened was I ended up getting COVID over New Year's while stuck in Michigan. Very mild case, but tested positive. And, and we were quarantined in Michigan over New Year's. I was down to sleep when the ball dropped this year. And all of a sudden, my kids didn't have anything to do. So Legos showed up. And Legos kept them occupied through this quarantine. And they fell in love. They became Lego masters. And so my son has a birthday party and he wants to uh, have a Lego-themed birthday party, which is genius because all the friends come and they bring Legos as presents, which is fantastic. And, and now he's got all kinds of projects and my daughter's helping him with it and they're building Legos. You know what they say throughout their build? Dad! Dad, can you help? Dad! Dad, I'm stuck. Dad, I don't, I, don't know how this, I don't know how this works. I followed the instructions, but it's backwards. Dad, so guess who else is in the Lego phase? Dad, dad's in the Lego phase. So dad has to come rescue the build. Dad has to come put it back together. Dad has to find the piece. It's not here. The piece is not here. I'm not going to be able to put it together. It's right there. There's the piece right there. Let's get that piece. Here we go. We can do this. And my kids start depending on dad in order to accomplish what they need to get done. One of the greatest privileges I have as a parent is to answer the call for help. Dad, can you help? Dad, can you open the pickle jar? Dad, can you help me do my homework? I don't get it. Dad, can you tell me about Jesus? Dad, can you, can you teach me how to shoot a basketball? Why do they need dad's help? Because they're children. You have to come to the point where you know, where you know that you cannot save yourself. You cannot live this life in your own power. Where you can do nothing apart from God. And we say it at Branch Life Church, the stronger your connection to Christ, the more fruit you will bear. If you abide in me, he will abide in you. If you do not abide in him, you will not be able to accomplish anything. Nothing is possible apart from Christ. And until you realize that, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. How do I get saved? How do I accept Jesus as my personal savior? You say, God, I know I can't save myself and I'm a sinner. God, I know I can't forgive my own sins. I must depend on you to save me. I'm trusting in you for my salvation. That's childlike faith. 
Dad, help. And then he goes on to say this. Verse 4. Whoever humbles himself like this child is then the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus answers this one direct. Who's the greatest of all time? The person that is humble like a child. The one that is able to consider themselves lowly. The one that is able to say, I am not dependent on myself for my own salvation. The humbler you are, the greater you will be. The more that you put yourself down, the more you will rise. In order to lead, you must serve. In order to be first, you must be last. It's upside down greatness. And if you humble yourself like a child and you become what Jesus calls gentle and low. In Matthew again, Jesus says, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. For I am. It's powerful. Gentle and lowly in heart. The heart of Jesus, the heart of the greatest of all time, the heart of God himself is gentle and lowly. It's a powerful, powerful thought. My small group is going to be going through the book Gentle and Lowly. This is a book all about the heart of God and how we often get it wrong. And what does it mean to be gentle and lowly? So my small group is launching February 4th on Friday nights, and we're doing a a series of book studies, not every week, but every couple of weeks, and in between, we're going to have fun, and we're going to serve, and then we're going to come back to our book study, and then we're going to party together, and then we're going to come back to book study, and then we're going to do a service project. We're excited to get into that rhythm as a small group as we go through this idea of Jesus himself being gentle and lowly, and how we can be gentle and lowly. And if we can grasp gentle and lowliness, the heart of Jesus, then we can actually grasp what greatness is. So I want to encourage you to jump into this, something like that, as we consider what it really means to be humble. Here's the danger of pursuing greatness the world's way, is is the world's greatness leads to pride. And pride leads to destruction. You see, pride comes before the fall. And if I am not humble like a child, then I'm proud of my accomplishments. I'm proud of my wealth. I'm proud of my fame. I'm proud of my church. I'm proud of my money. I'm proud of my car. I'm proud of And and I, I start to do what I do best and how I think and how I consider. And then I get proud. I get puffed up. And that's when the fall comes. And Jesus says, no, no, no. To be To be great means to be humble like a child. He continues on with the conversation, and as he has this child in the midst of them, he says in verse 5, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. He then displays this child now as not only a representative of you and I, those of us striving to be a part of the kingdom of God, but now as a representative of who God cares for. You see, God cares for the child, and in order to be great, we must care for the weak. Whoever receives this child receives me. Yesterday, uh, we, got, we had our do- donations that we get into the community from Costco and from other areas, and we were giving them out on Saturday. And Costco gave us over 100 boxes of protein bars. And they don't usually give us boxes of protein bars. And, and, and these are $20 a pop, these boxes of protein bars, right? And so they just gave us hundreds of dollars worth of protein bars. And so we called up Pottstown Bible Church. And Pottstown Bible Church is a church right, right in the middle of Pottstown, right off of High Street, who serves primarily the homeless community in Pottstown. And they're one of our community partners. And whenever we get something that's pre-packaged, we, we call Pottstown Bible because they're looking for things that are carry, that are food that won't spoil, that can be put in pockets and can be carried away. So I called John Appleball, the pastor at, at Passed down Bible, and I said, can you use these protein bars? And he goes, Josh, those would be amazing. So we took them down, and, and I'm standing in this kitchen in the basement of, a, of an old Catholic church that they've turned into a, a place where they reach out for people, and he's telling me how they're serving the homeless population right now. We're, we're in code blue because it's extremely cold out, so there has to be warming centers set up. 
And the homeless population needs a place to, to take showers and to get clean because they can't dip into the river. It's too cold out now. And so, so they're really struggling with where to sleep and how to get clean and how to feed themselves and how to stay warm. And because of Omicron and because of the, the economy, the way that, that it, there is, they're serving more people now than ever. And on a Sunday morning, they'll do well over 100 meals. And what Pottstown Bible is doing right now is they're serving a hot meal of of eggs and bacon, and then they're going to do a worship service for all of the homeless population that comes in, and that's going to be their morning worship service, and then before they leave, they're going to make sure they have a hot lunch, and then they're going to give them food to go, so they have it for the rest of the day, the beginning of the week. And I said, how are things going? He goes, Josh, you wouldn't believe the price of bacon. You wouldn't believe the price of it. We didn't plan for this in our budget, and we're feeding 20 30 more people on average than we thought we would every week. I just had a family of seven, a mom and six kids come in and not have food. We didn't budget for this. And I said, well, what do you need to feed so many people each week? He says, well, if we had 100, 150 bucks a week, that would cover our food costs. And I'm like, how do you do it that cheap? He gives them that full meal and he uses donations and they open their kitchen and they have the worship service and when they pass their offering plate around to the homeless, the homeless don't give money. They can't pay for that food. So I said, well, how do you have a budget? Where does the money come from? And he goes, God provides. I said, how much money do you need for the whole year to keep your food program going? He goes, minimum $5,000. I said, $5,000, where are you going to get it? He goes, I don't know. I said, if we had more, we'd do more. What's your budget for the year? To get everything done we need to get done is about $100,000. This church has been in existence for that long, and here I am. Wow, I'm going to get emotional. I'm embarrassed. Because our baby church has a budget that's triple that amount. And we could pay for his food tomorrow for the whole year. And we wouldn't miss it. And here is a man standing on faith who's caring for the weak, trusting God to provide every step of the way. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Who is he hosting a worship service for every week in that homeless community? He's hosting it for Jesus. That's greatness. That's the idea of greatness in God's kingdom. And then the third thing that he says is it keeps a brother from sin. In, in verse 6, as we move on into the, into the depths of this Answer, he says, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. This just took a turn, folks. Jesus puts out a warning and he says, don't you dare hurt this child. Don't you dare cause this child to sin. Don't you teach this child to lie. Don't you demonstrate what it means to walk away from God in the presence of this child. Don't, don't do anything that will hurt this young believer and drag them into choices that are not glorifying to God. Don't teach them that greatness comes to wealth. Don't teach them that greatness comes from power. Don't teach them that greatness comes from fame. Teach them that greatness comes from humility and serving God. And if you take it any other direction, you might as well drown yourself now. That was terrifying to me. And Jesus begins this discussion about temptation and he's going to talk to us about what it means to have victory over sin. And sometimes in our battle against sin, we can get aggressive against non-believers and their bad behavior. That is not what Jesus is saying here. He says, don't cause one of these children who believes in me. He says, don't keep your brothers from sin. I don't care if a non-believer sins. I care that they don't believe in Jesus. My job as a Christian, my job as, as a pastor, our job as a church is not to go out there and correct the bad behaviors of non-believers. It's to give non-believers the love of Jesus so they believe in Jesus. Then Jesus takes care of the behavior. However, in the body of Christ, when we're dealing with brothers and sisters in Christ, 
we must hold each other accountable. We must correct bad behavior. We must identify and stamp out sin. Why? Because look at the next verse. In verse 7, woe to the world for the temptation of sin. We're all going to be tempted. That's the broken world that we live in. For it is necessary that temptation comes. This is part of God's plan. But woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. Don't be that person that's leading someone else to sin. It's an awful place to be. That's evil. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled and lame than with two hands and two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes and be thrown in hellfire. What Jesus is teaching the disciples, remember, in the presence of a child, is the principle of what I call radical amputation. What radical amputation is, is this idea of cutting out anything, anything that is drawing myself or drawing someone else that I know who's a follower in Jesus to sin. One of the worst things that you could be accused of in your life is leading someone else to sin. And if your child is good at lying, if your child is good at taking the Lord's name in vain, if your child is good at forsaking the assembly of the gathering together, if your child is good at being lazy, if your child is, is, uh, is mean or loses their temper, and you ask your child, why do you do those things? And they say, I learned it by watching you, Dad. You're in trouble. You're in trouble. How do we save that child from sin? How do we save the people around us from sin? We first must address our own sin. We must address our own shortcomings. We must search our hearts and see if there be any wicked way in us. And the power of radical amputation is simply this. Radical amputation is far better than complete annihilation. I don't want to be punished for bad behavior. I want to get rid of whatever is causing me to sin so that I don't have to face the wrath of God. And it's far better to go without than to sin than it is to go with and, and not sin than to go with and sin. And we must first humble ourselves and realize that we need God's saving grace because there's nothing that we can do for ourselves. Now sometimes we think, hey, I've, I don't have to confess any big sins. I haven't killed anybody. I haven't stolen any cars. I haven't robbed anybody's money. I haven't taken anybody's stuff out of anybody's wallet. And, and, then, and then we start going, I, I don't need to confess. I don't need to rag in because I'm not as bad as that person over there. They're really bad. They're having an affair. They're sleeping around. You know what they're doing on the computer? They're, they're, they've, they've cornered the market on being bad, and I'm not as bad as them. And we start comparing and we start saying at least well it's not the big sins but if you actually say God would you search my heart and see if there are any wicked way in me and and God would start to come in into your life and say all right what about lying have you told a lie have you stretched the truth have you actually caught a fish that's that big have you lied to a spouse have you lied to a co-worker have you lied to a child what about slothfulness and laziness Laziness is not just sitting on the couch doing nothing, although some of us are very good at that. Laziness could be entertaining ourselves to, to be unproductive. I'm so entertained. I'm watching so many Netflix shows. I can scroll on Instagram for hours that I can't, I, but I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to read my Bible. I don't have time to, to invest in my relationship with my wife or my kids. But I watch the entire third season. If I want to destroy laziness in my life, and I'm being lazy because I'm being distracted on Netflix, what does radical amputation call for? Unsubscribe to Netflix. There are some people out there who I know in this world who have no televisions. If you're looking at stuff on your phone that you shouldn't be looking at, and that's a constant temptation in your life. I knew a young man that was battling with this, and he said, Josh, I'm trying to get over this. I'm, I, I'm, I'm married. I, I don't want, 
I don't want to do anything that's going to hurt my wife. This is something I've got to cut out, but it's something I've been struggling with for a decade. How do I do it? And, and, and we said, all right, what's happening? When's it happening? And he talked about it, and the phone was the problem. Guess what you need to do, brother? Get rid of your smartphone. What? So he got rid of his smartphone. He bought a flip. You can still buy flip phones. He bought a flip phone. His wife came up to me a couple of weeks later and said, knowing that he has a flip phone and not a smartphone has brought so much peace to our marriage. Radical amputation. I'm getting rid of the thing that is causing me to make bad, sinful choices. What, what if it is losing your temper? What if it is being anxious all the time? What if it is being ungrateful, selfish, prideful, not keeping your word? I said I'd be there at this time, but I actually showed up 30 minutes late. Not, not doing the job that you were hired to do. When we start examining our hearts, we see how very wicked we are. And we know that we must humble ourselves like a child and say, I must tap into the power of confession. You see, Jesus knew that this would be a problem for us. And so what he, what he gave to us, he gave us the opportunity to enter the presence of God at any time and confess our sins. He gave us communion. To be regular in our church and in our churches for the confession of sin. You see, when we gather around the communion table, we do three things. We remember the death of Jesus on the cross for us. He humbled himself for our sake. We proclaim his death until he comes. We tell others that we believe in it. But we also examine ourselves. And we take a, take a moment to confess those sins. To repent. To turn from them. And if you're coming to this communion time, which we're going to participate in just a moment. And you're coming to confess the same old sin over and over again. You confessed it last time. You confessed it the time before that. You confessed it the time before Maybe this time around, God's calling you to not only just confession, but to radical amputation. Maybe there's something that you need to do in this time to commit to God and say, God, I'm, I'm sorry for that sin. I confess it. I know you've forgiven me. Now I'm going to take these steps this week to get that out of my life. So that the next time I do communion, I'm not dealing with that sin anymore. God, give me victory over sin. You see, that's the power of communion. We want to enter into this communion time together today. I want to encourage you to, to grab the elements you have in your hand, both a, a cup and a bread. God, as we enter into this time of communion together, would you lead us? Would you meet us? Would you help us to know and feel your presence? With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to call you to a time of confession. Brothers and sisters in Christ, let us consider together the cross of Christ and the power of confession. Together we confess our sins and we humble ourselves like a child before Christ. We pray this prayer, Almighty Father God, search me, know my heart, see if there be any wicked way in me, reveal in me the ways my heart has hardened. Show me the areas where I have unconfronted sin. And in any way, show me how I've caused others to sin. Would you in silence listen to the voice of God and confess any sins that he brings to your mind? For you, O oh Lord, in confession, we name these sins. We acknowledge our wrong choices. We repent and ask for your forgiveness.
confess the sin of quenching our spirit, your spirit, for not listening to your leading, for failing to look for your return, for focusing on ourselves, and for turning away from those who are lonely, hungry, poor, and weak. In your great goodness, God, put away from us our offenses. Cleanse us from our sins. Forgive us. And give us in the power of the Spirit victory over sin. Give us a love for righteousness and a power to resist the temptation and the evil one. And in Jesus' great and holy name, and for his sake we say, amen. God, by your grace and through your blood, we declare this pardon. We now stand before him as righteous, as righteous sons of daughters, knowing that if anyone takes communion in an unworthy manner, they eat and drink judgment on themselves. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of which I am chief.
Hebrews 4.15 says this. Since we have a great high priest, use the word great. Since we have a great high priest who, who lives in the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unsympathetic with our weakness, but one who is in every respect tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace as we receive mercy and find grace to help in times of trouble. If you would take the bread, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, it says, For I received from the Lord what also I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed took bread. We had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as oft as you drink this bread, eat this bread, drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Thank you, God, for your broken body and your spilt blood for us. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Well, as we close out our thoughts this morning and answer this question, I just want to ask you real quickly, well, so what? What do I do next? Jesus has answered the question about greatness, and he's talked about humility, he's talked about caring, he's talked about uh, uh, dealing with our own sin. Jesus tells then this incredible story, and he talks about this this famous story in, in kind of a different light in Matthew than we see it in Luke. And if you see in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 10, it says, and here's the, here's the so what answer. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. It's talking about the kids again. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my father who's in heaven. There's a theological discussion to have. Is that guardian angels? What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and he leaves them and one has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountain and go search for the one that went astray? And when he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over 99 who never went astray. So it is with the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should not perish. See, Jesus is talking to us about the definition of greatness. And now what do we do as we strive for God's greatness, not the world's greatness, in our lives? What do I do tonight? What do I do tomorrow? Jesus is asking you to care, to have a heart for the one that has gone astray. You see, there is somebody who needs you to find them. There's there's somebody that's walked away from the faith. There's somebody that's far from God. There's somebody that's that's not gathering with the believers and and, and they're, they're pushing God aside and they need you, and maybe they're at the very beginning of it, maybe they're far from God in these moments, but what we do as people who follow after the gentle and lowly heart of God is we make ourselves, we avail ourselves to searching for the one that has gone astray. And greatness is not promoting of myself. Greatness is rescuing another. Giving of myself, like Jesus died on the cross for me, So that I can help find, seek, and to save that which is lost. That that person who has gone astray. And this week, maybe you need to think about that person more. I found that in most of our rhythms, we get very selfish in pursuing our own greatness. And we think little of others who may need to be found. Jesus left the 99 He searched for the one that has gone astray. And when he finds them, the angels rejoice and we party. So what do we do with upside down greatness? Well, do a little bit less for you this week. 
and do a little bit more for others. Do a little bit less for you this week. Don't promote yourself. Don't do more selfies on Instagram. Do something else for others. There's a girl named Nicole who works at the Pottstown Area Children's Foundation, and, and she has her niece and nephew on Wednesdays. Every Wednesday evening, they do one selfless act for another. And they, they do it together. They want nothing in return. They dedicate, whether it's 10 minutes, 20 minutes, or two hours, to helping somebody else to show the love of Jesus. That's one thing you can put into your rhythm. I don't know what it could be for you, but as you are confident as one of the 99, you're good, you're in, you're in, the, in the shepherd's care. Now, what can we do to seek and to save the lost? Here's, let me give you some, if you don't have any plan to do this this week, you can always start with pray. Pray by name every day for somebody who's strayed from Jesus, for someone who's lost. You can invest, you can give a little time, you can give an evening, you can give a phone call, you can shoot a text, you can build a relationship, you can offer help, you can invest, and then you can invite. Invite them to Jesus, invite them to worship, invite them to a group, invite them to your house, invite them to coffee. In the name of Jesus, that is God's definition of greatness. You know, if you're listening today, if you're here today, and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to make that decision today, to be found by him, to realize that you are that child that can't help yourself, but you need Jesus to save you. Today, you can put your faith and trust in Jesus. And if you want to know how to do that or, or more, have any questions about that, you can go to the gospel tab at branchlife.church and we'll walk you through it or you can come up to us after the service. We love to stay connected with you and hear from each of you today. So before you go, let us know how we can be praying for you, who we can be praying for you on your behalf. And if you're ready to take any next steps, we're excited about what's coming down the road and you can see those options there on the card. We hope that today has encouraged and strengthened your connection with Christ so that you can go from here and reach our world. Hey guys, thanks again for diving into God's word with us. We hope it spoke to you in a special way. Don't forget to fill out your connection card before you log off. You may go to branchlife.church or you can find it in the chat area and click on the link. If this was a blessing to you, it would be a favor to us if you could pass the word along. Share online, tag a friend, or by word of mouth. Who knows how God can speak to you or to others through this series. Anytime you would like to connect with us, come right back onto our website or onto our YouTube channel, Facebook, and hopefully you can find um, ways to connect with us, more series to dive into, and just ways to help encourage you throughout your day. Thanks again. Bye.